0: In the glory
1: forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast. In and through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim Elmore and I'm the lead pastor, senior pastor, whichever you want to call it, at Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. And my
2: name is Marshall Morden and I am the associate pastor, assistant pastor, whatever you want to call it, at Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. Sorry. What's
1: the difference between a lead pastor and a senior pastor? I honestly don't know. Although there are some
2: churches that have like a significant number of staff that do make a distinction. Like yeah. they've
1: got one guy who's the senior and one guy who's the lead. Really? I, I, I've I, never seen, I've never seen a senior and a lead. I've always thought of it as an either or.
2: Yeah. Well, there's, you yeah, Then you'll have like past, like senior pastor of like vision and another one of
1: preaching and it's. It gets convoluted,
2: but you get to be both senior and lead. How about that, Tim?
1: I'm the senior because I'm the oldest, and I'm the lead because the balls, Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is, that was was fruitful. That was a good discussion, and I'm sure everyone is happy that they came out for that. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about real things. Uh, So today we are picking back up on our read through the Bible in a year chronologically, and we are—I I don't have my days in front of me. We are on the day that starts with Isaiah 1, yep. and uh, then the next seven days after that. Yeah, I or think, the, it, this, I think that day 190— then that day and then the six days after. Yeah, 190 to 196, I think. That's what you got, head. something like that. That sounds right. Give or take a day. That sounds day. right. That sounds right. Let's do that. All right, so, forest and trees. Mm-hmm. I almost got really excited and jumped right into it. Yeah. Because I love Isaiah. Yeah. Isaiah, Isaiah to me is the pinnacle of the old Testament. Mm. I I think, I think that Isaiah is the best writer in all of scripture. Definitely the best writer in all of the old Testament. Mm. Uh, And I know that people are probably aghast and they're thinking, what about David? Yeah. I, I would say, Read Isaiah in his word pictures, he's pretty fantastic. Mm. Um, nothing against Solomon, right? Or David. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love Isaiah, John, probably in the New Testament. John's pretty great, yeah. John's pretty amazing, he's got that, uh, got that way with words. Mm. Uh, but I, I love Isaiah and I want to uh, get into it. So, forest and trees, do it the right way,
2: yeah. So, the forest for this week's reading, enough is enough. Enough is enough. God is sick and tired of everything that's been going on, and there's going to be a reckoning.
1: Right. <laughs> right. And, and then the, fo- the trees, the, you, would, you would assume that inside of that, the trees then would be uh, all of these things taking place. But that's not the case. We're not going to hear today about these things taking place. We're hearing about prophecy that it will take place.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, on the very last day, we begin to see things coming together. But yeah, for the most part, this week's reading is just the, the, the warning, just warning after warning of what is coming because of Israel's unfaithfulness and because of their unrighteousness.
1: Yeah, and so what I want to do is I want to make sure that we take the opportunity to frame this in well. the The reason we wanted to do the podcast along with the reading is is one to encourage the readers to to stay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is we want to we want to do this before you read to help you wrap your head around where you're at in the passages. Yeah. So if you're following along, uh, that's the goal, and, and and I think the we're gonna have to jump around a bit, a little bit, yeah, out of the the order that is given to us. And, might make an argument for a better chronological order. Maybe, uh, yeah, but, uh, but what we want to do is we want to just make sure that we have a good foundation of understanding where we're at and why things are happening. And that's going to throw us all the way back to Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Leviticus chapter 26. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we made a big deal about Leviticus 26 when we were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I told everyone to read it two or three times um, because it will be the uh, the linchpin for understanding the Old Testament as a whole. And so what are the things we learned in Leviticus 26? Give us a, a recap.
2: Yeah, so, well, we know that there are both blessings for obedience and consequences, punishments for disobedience. And... The blessings for obedience are wonderful. I mean that the the bounty and the favor that the nation of Israel is going to enjoy when they're walking with the Lord is great. You were saying earlier, that, right, the only problem that they're going to have is that they don't know what to do with their crops from last year because they're already harvesting this year's crops, like right? They, they just their barns won't be big enough, right, to hold hold the abundance. But if they stray from that, if they turn their back on God, there will be consequences, right? There will be famines and there will be pestilence. And ultimately, God warns that it will culminate with him destroying their cities, right? devastating the land, and scattering them among the
1: nations. Yeah, and he is going to do that uh, also with the nations. Yes. Right? That, yeah. that armies would invade. Uh, one of the big things that is talked about in uh, in if they were to obey— is that there would the sword would not pass through mm-hmm. Israel at all, uh, but if they don't, they will be driven away, uh, and so, and so that is that is the framework that God set from the very beginning, and from day one, we've talked about this all along. From day one, they never got rid of all of the people they were supposed to get rid of, mm-hmm. and they've assimilated, they've received the gods of these people, these false and foreign gods and we are i mean two episodes ago was it we did from bad to worse yeah um and last week's episode wasn't any better talking about all the kings and uh how everyone is worse than his father was before him Mm -hmm. uh and and this is this is just the way israel is chosen to live and so god has had enough and so isaiah steps onto the scene
2: yeah, yeah, and Isaiah kind of becomes the most prominent prophet of this era, right? And he's kind of one of the first guys who, on a large scale, is going to start prophesying about this this extreme level of destruction that uh, Israel is going to experience.
1: Yeah, and in this, we're going to understand the difference between the major and the minor prophets. Yeah, uh, the major prophet is sort of uh, the the guy who is speaking in a large way uh, the minor prophet is someone who is under him not not necessarily in sort of a category like a, a pastor and an associate pastor right <laughs> uh, but but in a supportive role they are also saying the same things and so mm-hmm. uh, I, we see Isaiah who is our major prophet this week yep uh, and our minor prophets are uh, Micah and Amos right. And and you'll see as you read Micah and Amos that a lot of the things that they're saying are inside of, uh, inside of Isaiah.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, well, I mean, we can talk about it more when we get there, but in some ways they're kind of just more kind of trimmed down versions of the same message that Isaiah is preaching.
1: Yeah, and so when we open Isaiah, I, I don't even want to start with Isaiah chapter 1 just yet. I want to start with Isaiah chapter 6, because Isaiah chapter 6 is the calling of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this takes place in the year that King Uzziah dies. We have talked about Uzziah. Mm-hmm. Uzziah's reigns pretty solid as yeah. far as the economics of Israel. Everyone seems to be doing well. Yep. they're not worshiping God.
2: No, not like they should, anyways. No,
1: but they are. Uh, yeah, well, okay. That's gonna that's gonna take a, a little bit of a statement. They are practicing temple worship. Some but they are not living according to the law. Exactly, yeah. And, but things seem to be going well. And so when Isaiah steps onto the scene, and, and then Isaiah and Amos and Micah start prophesying against Israel, Israel's a little bit confused. Maybe things seem to be going well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and destruction doesn't come for for a while. Yeah. It's not like they speak it and there it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we were talking earlier, some people that want to discredit Uh, The legitimacy of Isaiah say that his that historically we can prove that his prophecies are too perfectly fulfilled (laughs) in order for uh, it to have been written prior to the invasion. Uh, And so these things would have to have been written in the exile because (laughs) the details are too good. Yeah, Uh, I mean, you can
2: only you can only take that that line of thinking if you're starting from the place where you don't believe it's possible for there to be. A genuine prophet, right? right? They're, 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 they're forced to come to that conclusion because their worldview doesn't allow for God to speak. It's
1: the too true. Yeah, no, that's it's too- the, the problem with it. Is, <laughs> and, and you know, I read one time, I was reading one time, this, uh, this guy who was making the argument, I, I don't want to give the guy credit, but he was making an argument against, uh, Paul's writing of, uh, of the pastoral epistles. Okay. And, uh, and so one guy came at it and he said, no, these are obviously forgeries. Paul didn't write the pastoral epistles because there's a language that he uses that is not the same as when he writes the general epistles. Right. In other words, as he's writing to these young men mm. who were living with him and under his direct discipleship, he spoke more warmly to them than he otherwise did, um, which to me only makes sense. Uh, and, and then another person came along and said, uh, no, I don't believe Paul wrote them because it sounds too much like Paul. It sounds like someone trying to sound like Paul, and so it sounds too much like Paul. And you just want to say you, a couple of problems. One, you can't have it both ways, and wouldn't you expect Paul to sound like Paul? I, of course. I don't get yeah. it. Uh, yeah, and so, so that's the same thing that happens here. People say, well, Isaiah is obviously a forgery. Not written before, because uh, what he says is the word of God spoken to him actually comes to pass. Yeah. (laughs) And in order for that to happen, he would have to have been a prophet, as he declares himself to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And God would have to be right and able to fulfill his plan. Right. And those things, since we know those things cannot be, the only other option is that he's writing this in hindsight. Yep. Ridiculous. Anyway... Anyway, uh, Isaiah chapter Mm 6, the year the king Uzziah dies, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. No mention of diapers or bows and arrows. No, strangely. I don't know where right. they're at. but <laughs> Right. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Mm-hmm. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And he said, or, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is awesome.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is crazy.
1: This is, this is terrifying. It should be terrifying. Isaiah's terrified. Uh, and Isaiah says, woe to me. How much emphasis do we put on that woe? I mean, woe, yeah, woe is not, um, it's not oops. Yeah,
2: it's not, yeah, it's not, it's, it, it seems almost foreign to us because it's not a concept that we really, you know, speak to a lot. It's not something that we, we say very often, but this woe is like, I am, I am undone. Like I, there's, there's
1: nothing I can do here. Like I, I have no hope. Sproul likes to lean into that undone. Yeah. 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 So the, the whole thing is just like death worse than death be upon me. Yeah. Because this has happened to me. Mm. And and that's an important thing to keep in mind because Isaiah mm. uses the woe language. And a lot of the prophets are going to use the woe language. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to get to Jesus who is going to use the woe language. Yeah, he, he likes it too. Uh and so so what what they mean in that is worse than death be upon me whatever it is your mind can conceive of the sort of like trouble and humiliation that comes over me. Mm-hmm. That is, that is what needs to happen in this place because I am a sinner in the presence of the Holy.
0: Mm.
1: And then one of the angels touches his lips with a coal and in that act purifies him so that he can stand there and be in the presence of the Lord of hosts There is to some degree an arbitrary nature to this coal Why does the coal make him clean I understand the, the idea of like heat purifying destroying that sort of thing but it's very symbolic mm-hmm. Isaiah declares himself unworthy to be there mm-hmm. This is grace Yeah This is God granting grace and mercy to a man who understands his depravity, mm. not just because of what he has done, but because of the place where he lives, being a sinful place. I, I think a lot of times when we really struggle with what it means for us to be sinners in the presence of a holy God, we think, well, what have I done necessarily? And we forget how many times uh, in in the law, when the Bible is teaching us the difference between a holy God, and a sinful man, it's a lot of just what we come in contact with. Sure. Makes us unclean.
2: Yeah, almost the guilt of association that we have with the whole human race. (laughs) Yeah, our our proximity to sin. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and so Isaiah recognizes that. He recognizes his own sin. He recognizes his proximity and uh, association with sin. He is granted grace, Mm -hmm. and the Lord speaks to him. Not really speaking to him, Mm -hmm. Speaking rhetorically. Sure. But Isaiah is the only other person in the room. (laughs) And he says, Hmm, who will I send? Yeah. And who will go for me? Yeah. And Isaiah, is Isaiah being bold here? Or is he fearing judgment when he says, here am I, send me. I I think it's a judgment call, but how do you read it?
2: I don't know. Because in an earlier verse, right, he says that, you know your this is now that this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for and so mm-hmm. now the position that Isaiah has before the throne of God is completely changed suddenly now he is in a much better position right to be used by the one true God
1: do you think he feels that emboldening power of the mercy that he's received
2: he says here I am send
1: me yeah i read it the same way
2: yeah, yeah. and it's funny actually this here i am send me, um, I had a, a prof at, uh, at heritage uh, who taught the Genesis class and, and this here I am, here I am, here I am. This is uh, a phrase that is used repeatedly in the stories of the patriarchs. And it's kind of this, um, you know, when, when God enters the scene or when he speaks to, to these people and they respond, here I am, it's, it's, it's kind of like a reporting for duty. It's like, whatever you want, God, here I am. Like whatever you need me to do, I will walk in obedience. Like I'm not running from you. I'm standing here waiting for your direction. And so this is the I think the the Hebrew phrase is like hineni or something. Hineni. And it's it, it's interesting. If you read through Genesis and
1: and the patriarchs you'll see this over and over again. Here I am.
2: Here I am. Here I am. And uh yeah, Isaiah is this name.
1: Here I am. Send me. And so he he says, "Here I am, send me." And then then God gives him his task. Yeah right his uh his task is that he is going to go and be the great prophet the one who speaks on behalf uh of god to the people and uh he says he says this uh uh, now i gotta find it scroll 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 god uh go and say this go and say to this people right god is saying this is what you need to go and say to the people Mm -hmm. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Hmm. Now, when he sent Jonah... Jonah preaches, repent. Yep. And everyone does.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: The pagan, the pagan nations, the pagan Assyrians immediately repent. And when Isaiah receives his message, his message is not to call people to repentance. Mm. His message is to preach repentance, Mm -hmm. but the people will be supernaturally prevented from repenting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like Isaiah, like, like, most of the Old Testament prophets is kind of given a task that will not be successful, right? Right. He's kind of told like, hey, your ministry is going to be calling people out, calling people out for their sin and then calling them back to the Lord. And essentially no one will listen to you. Right. And that is your, that is the purpose of your life now. And, uh, I mean, imagine, imagine for, you know, for you and I as pastors, right? If our, if our ministry was to preach with, with no, uh, no positive impact or response, I mean, that's, that, that would be so disheartening. Um, but yet Isaiah and the other prophets remain faithful to it. So I got to give them credit for that.
1: Yeah. And and until I think that the number one question that's going to come up here is why, What is God doing here that he would call people to repentance and then he he himself prevent them from repenting? Mm. And and I think what we have to remember is that these people are not dumb to what the law of the Lord is.
2: Yeah, no. And they've had multiple chances. I mean, it's not, I mean, going back to your example of Jonah, like Jonah goes, Jonah preaches this message almost seemingly half-heartedly. And everyone immediately responds to this imminent threat. And mm-hmm. and repents it, 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 in sackcloth and ashes, right? And and meanwhile, I mean, the the nation of Israel has the scriptures, right? They've had, they have the stories of their forefathers. They they have Leviticus twenty six and then and the rest of the law, and they
1: have the prophets who have been reminding them all along. Yeah,
2: they have the they have the Psalms of David and the writings of Solomon. By this point, and yet they are refusing time and time again to uh, to follow after God. And they're perverting justice and they are, you know, worshiping false idols for generations. And so this is not that God has not given them a chance. They're just, they're out of chances.
1: Right. So, so Isaiah's job is not then to go in and tell them what they need to do. Isaiah's job is to go in and tell them, this is the reason you're going to lose everything. Yeah. Right. Not just Isaiah, but, but like we said, the minor prophets under him, Ezekiel, who will come Jeremiah, their job is is not to say this is what you need to do, but this is why destruction is coming upon you, mm-hmm. and uh and, and that appears really clearly in Isaiah chapter one, mm-hmm. where there is this awesome throne room court scene, hmm. right, where it, it begins off uh, this vision that uh, Isaiah receives and. It begins with uh, God saying, "Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, My people do not understand, all oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Mm-hmm. And then he will lay out for them all of the things that they are doing mm-hmm. and all of the things they are not doing. Mm-hmm. And these are heavy. Oh yeah. Because the things that they are doing include ceremonial worship
2: yeah yeah they're 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 in a sense kind of fulfilling the you know the the ceremonial requirements of the law right they're they're offering the sacrifices they're celebrating the feasts they're you know maybe singing the songs even um, the
1: boxes are checked
2: yeah they're checking all of those boxes their their religion from from, from an outside perspective seems to be on point and yet it is hollow, and in fact, it, it is rotting from the inside. Because just like the Pharisees in the time of Christ, from the outside things look clean, but inside they're not. Because they're perverting justice.
1: Revelation two, yeah, Ephesian church, yep, right. From the I know you have a good reputation,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but you've forgotten your first love. Yeah. I think that I it, hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna backpedal that uh, because these guys are. The Ephesian Church was coming against false teachers. Mm-hmm. These guys are embracing yeah. false gods, and trying, so I'm going to backpedal. Yeah. I'm going to take that back
2: and trying to shut down the true prophets of God.
1: Right, right. Which we
2: see in in Amos, for example.
1: Yeah, and so so in all of these, we in the minor prophets and in Isaiah, we have him saying, "You're doing you're doing the feasts, but I hate them." Yeah. Even going to the point is to say, who asked this of you? Mm -hmm. Right. This isn't them inventing. This is something that took me a while to sort of like learn correctly. They're not inventing false worship. All of the things that they're called out for doing are things that they're asked to do in the law. Right. But they're doing it in such a way that they have forsaken the image bearers of God Mm -hmm. in people. And is saying, this is all a show.
2: Yeah yeah adherence to the law right these ceremonies and these feasts are or to be reminders of their dependence on god and the importance of of following him in every facet of their life but it's like you know they're 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 the the people that are you know first in line to be offering their their little sacrifice but then when their neighbor is in need or when there is you know um an opportunity to take advantage of someone Right, they're 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 just choosing the evil path in their day to day lives, and so what what value do, does celebrating feasts and offering sacrifices really have if it's if it's only skin deep, right? And that's right.
1: That's the indictment
2: against Israel, right?
1: They're yeah, hypocrites. And, and so so what we're gonna find then for the next man for weeks to come, yeah. Uh, the the prophets are a tough read, and I'm just gonna tell you that now. Uh, so. I, I don't think it's really been tough reading uh, since maybe we came through the early part of uh, of the establishment of the temples and the laws and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. The prophets are a tough read because it, the it is just destruction and damnation. Mm. Then there's a moment of light. Sure. Followed by destruction and damnation. Yeah. And so the the way the way this is setting up and is that it's going to say this punishment is coming. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. In the end, I am still going to save my people, mm-hmm. and there will be deliverance. Yeah, for mankind. Yeah, but you are going to pay this price. And and the reason is because we, we learned this in Leviticus 26, just to go back there again. His purpose is not to destroy them. His purpose is to discipline them and draw them back. Yeah. And so one key theme that you have to cling to that will carry you through the prophets is the remnant.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's a prominent theme, right? That that there will be some who will be spared and whose hearts will turn back to God and those will return to the land of promise, and those will be able to worship God properly, but it's going gonna, it's gonna
1: to take some serious discipline before we get to that point. And the remnant is not spared the discipline.
2: That's also true.
1: He doesn't say, there are a few of you who are rightly worshiping me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you aside so that you don't have to go through the judgment. <laughs> That's correct. He says, no, you're going to go through the judgment. Yeah. And you're going to... I'm trying to think of other words for judgment because it's not just judgment. Like, whatever sort of trials and Tribulation. tribulations that Israel is going to go through, the people of God will go through that. Yeah. And they will come out on the other side still faithful because yeah. God will keep them. Mm-hmm. And he will give them what it is that they had uh, been promised from the beginning.
2: Yeah. It's a refining process, right? You think of like, even like, and the Bible uses this language of refining metals and you have the dross, right? You have the, the stuff that is of no real value. That's clinging to the, the precious metal that, that in the, in the heat of the fire falls off. And that's essentially what we're going to see with, you know, the destruction and the exiles and then the eventual returns, right? Is this, this process God is refining, um, the people of Israel because there's a lot of there's a lot of junk
1: yeah so when when the New Testament authors tell us not all of Israel is Israel this is a good opportunity to see that right because in this we see that there is there is ethnic Israel yep. that are the nation of Israel sure um and we also see that there are those people who are actually faithful worshipers of the one true God Mm -hmm. and him alone that are actually Israel, the people of God through whom he will bring about his promise. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and that division is made pretty clearly in this section Mm -hmm. uh, of the prophets that, or this throughout the prophets Mm -hmm. that we're going to be reading. Yeah. Um,
2: Another, another theme that we see in Isaiah and in, uh, in Amos and Micah as well is the promise of the
1: Messiah. Right, mm-hmm.
2: we, we we start to see glimmers even in this week's reading.
1: Oh, Isaiah eleven.
2: Yeah, there there are there are there are snip, snippets that we get of the one who is coming. Right, the child who is going to be born, the one who is going to be the righteous ruler of Israel. Right, who will who will govern the nations. Right, with with righteousness. And so, um, you know, one of the one of the nice things too, as we're reading through this, because as you said, yeah, for the next few weeks there's going to be a lot of judgment there's going to be a lot of that same kind of theme coming, but to, um, look for and, and, and highlight and cling to not just the hope of the remnant, but also what that remnant is going to, um, lead to, which is, which is the Messiah, which we know as Jesus Christ. Um, but at, at this point, you know, they, they simply know as the one who is going to fulfill God's plan on earth.
1: Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. So there's the uh the setup for this week's reading mm-hmm. at the 30 minute mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so let's get into uh, let's get into uh, other things that you might might want to point out. What other what other will give you multiple highlights from this section if you want to take an opportunity to point a couple of things out?
2: Um sure. I mean, so for me for this week's reading, um, I really I really enjoyed the uh, the reading through Micah. Essentially, it's two days through through the prophet Micah. and it's it's just kind of this like tightly packed uh, version of Isaiah almost. You get all of the same things. You have the warning of the coming destruction, right? And you have you have the reason behind it, right? Like pointing out the injustice that the people of God have been, have been perpetrating, right? Oppressing the widows and the orphans and the poor and, you know, calling out the leaders of which. But then you also get this this, this promise of the mountain of the Lord, which is in also in Isaiah 2, right? And so he mirrors that and, and, and talking about like this time that is coming when all the nations will look to, to the God of Israel as the arbiter of truth. And we have the, the ruler who will be born in Bethlehem is in Micah the remnant that will be delivered. And I love um, you know, that famous passage that, that talks about what God has demanded of us. I'm just going to read a few verses here. It says, um, Micah 6, 6 to 8. It says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That's the, like, that's what they need to be doing. That, that, that needs mm-hmm. to be the outward expression of, of, a, of a real faith. Right? right? That, is, that, is, that is genuine. That is, that is relying on the grace and mercy of God then that ought to extend outwards to how we interact with other people.
1: Yeah, and that's a that's an important distinction because a lot of people would say, "Oh, this is what the Lord requires of you," and read that to mean this and nothing more. Mm. Um and so they would say doing good, mm-hmm. seeking justice is the requirement of the Lord. Mm-mm. But it is an expression mm-hmm of true faith.
2: Yeah. It's the necessary evidence. Right? It's, right. it's going to the whole thing in James where it's like the faith without works is dead. It it's not that faith plus works is required. It's that a, a faith that doesn't result in good works is not a saving faith.
1: Right. Yeah, for me I, I'm gonna go back into Isaiah. Um there are there are a couple of times especially you just brought this up, the the promise of the Messiah to come. And and I think that there's an important distinction in how we read these things. I I think people are going to read Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9, and they're going to say, wait, that's what we read at Christmas? (laughs) That's right. Right? Because there are some very famous Christmas lines in this week's reading, Mm -hmm. in in Isaiah 7 and and 9. Mm -hmm. And, And there's a reason why those Christmas readings are not extended. You know, you'd like to do big, long readings that culminate with that famous line, but we can't. In right. order for us to read it at Christmas, we have to take it out of its context, and we have to read five words, right? and leave it at that. Mm-hmm. But we push really hard on understanding Scripture in its context, to the point that we would say, let's spend a whole year reading the context of Scripture. Right. And so, uh, what do we do with these things? There's, there is inside of these things what we call a double fulfillment that needs to be understood. Mm-hmm. Right? And so a double fulfillment means that God is going to fulfill immediately his prophecy in such a way that it becomes a statement of what will eventually come in an ultimate form.
2: Sure. And we've seen this already multiple times, right, in the scriptures already, right? We think of like David's reign, right? We think of like King David as this prototypical, you know, king of israel who mm-hmm. is you know who is a, a quote-unquote son of god right 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 and yet he so that fulfillment that 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 good king that israel has is still just pointing towards a, another fulfillment a greater fulfillment that is embodied in christ and the same thing you could say with the tabernacle and the temple and then christ and
1: and so yeah so this is and the, we you know, we call that typology
2: yeah typology
1: and so in uh isaiah seven ten it says again the lord spoke to ahaz After he has promised him, I'm going to deliver my people.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Ask for a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But (laughs) Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. It it almost sounds noble.
2: It does, actually. But
1: God has told him, ask for a sign. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And he said... The Lord, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that now you would weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. She shall he shall eat curds and honey. And he knows. Sorry, I lost my spot and when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good so there's this promise of a boy born to a virgin Mm -hmm. who would be the sign of deliverance Mm -hmm. and they would call his name emmanuel which means god with us Mm -hmm. so a lot of people that want to come against the uh the virgin birth they will say the word for virgin is going to be can be actually a virgin the way we would describe it, or it could just be a young woman mm. who ought to be a virgin. Right. And and so they would say, well, what ha- what happened actually was that Mary was a young woman who should have been a virgin but bore a son. Mm-hmm. And and that's sort of their workaround. And so the question then comes, well, what about in Isaiah? Are there two virgin births mm. inside of scripture? And so the answer then, it becomes a yes and no. Mm. There is a young woman in Isaiah who gives birth because she is the lesser type. Mm. The young woman, not actually the virgin, who gives birth to a son who represents the fact that God is with them. He himself is not God with them, Mm. but he represents the fact that God is with his people, And so his name is a reminder of that. Just like we see uh, Isaiah asked to name his kids all kinds of crazy things in such a way as to teach Israel. uh, Mm -hmm. This is the message of the Lord. And then in its ultimate form, what the type is setting up, an actual virgin is going to give birth to actually God with us. Yeah. And that is the way double fulfillment and typology works. And and this is probably the greatest example of double fulfillment Mm. and typology in all of scripture. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. One thing I wanted to read for, uh, just another little bit out of Micah, just to close because with, with all of this discussion of of the the judgment of God, and this is, this is a part of his good plan um, in the midst of all this. You know, we can't lose sight that that God is still gracious. And so the last, I want to read the last three verses of Micah. It says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And so this, this judgment and then the remnant and the return and the Messiah and all of this is to bring about God's plan to tread our iniquities underfoot and cast our sin into the sea.
1: Amen. Isaiah 10. Could it get any worse? People <laughs> chopped down like trees in a barren forest. Mm-hmm. And then there's Isaiah 11. Get excited for that one. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. Take care.